Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of Storytime Madness. Today we're going to read A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens. Before we begin, we're going to start with our Christmas Missing Letter Mystery Word Challenge. We've done a Mystery Word Challenge over the past few weeks. We've released some pretty tricky words. So today's word is no exception. See if you can guess it. Today's word is seven letters long and the fourth letter is G. Seven letters long, fourth letter G. So if you know what the answer is, go to our Instagram page, Let's Talk Podcast 2023, or send us a voice message on Spotify. If you go to the episode description, you'll find the voice message link there. We also wanted to ask all our fans who listen to our podcast daily to go to our Instagram page and to subscribe. Follow us. We would love for our fans to be involved with the journey of us posting on Instagram. So, as it is the run of the last two weeks till Christmas, we are only going to be doing a reading story, uh, only going to be reading a book on a Wednesday. On the other two days in the week, and that only includes this week because next week is Christmas Eve on Sunday, um, we will be doing mystery word challenges. This is because we are currently working on three, yes, you heard me, three video podcast episodes. One for Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, and Boxing Day. They will all be released at 6pm on Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, and Boxing Day. There will also be a fourth video episode or audio visualizer episode released for New Year on the 31st of December 2023. So, now that's all the announcements taken care of. If you know what the word is, go to our Instagram page, Let's Talk Podcast 2023. But for now, let's get on with reading A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens. Sit back, relax, and enjoy. There never was such a goose. Bob said he didn't believe there ever was such a goose cooked. Its tenderness and flavour, size and cheapness were the themes of universal admiration. Eked out by apple sauce and mashed potatoes, it was a sufficient dinner for the whole family. Indeed, as Mrs Cratchit said with great delight, surveying one small atom of a bone upon the dish, they hadn't ate it all at last. Yet everyone had had enough, and the youngest Cratchits in particular were steeped in sage and onion to their eyebrows. 
But now the plates being changed by Miss Belinda, Mrs. Cratchit left the room alone, too nervous to bear witnesses to take the pudding up and bring it in. Suppose it should not be enough. Suppose it should break in turning out. Suppose somebody should have got over the wall of the backyard and stolen it while they were merry with the goose. A supposition at which the two young Cratchits became livid, all sorts of horrors were supposed. Hello, a great deal of steam. The pudding was out of the copper, a smell like a washing day. That was the cloth, a smell like an eating house and a pastry cook's next door to each other, with a laundress next door to that. That was the pudding. In half a minute, Mrs. Cratchit entered, flushed, but smiling proudly with the pudding, like a speckled cannonball, so hard and firm, blazing in half of half a quartern of ignited brandy, and bedight with Christmas holly stuck into the top. Oh, a wonderful pudding, Bob Cratchit said, and calmly too, that he regarded it as the greatest success achieved by Mrs. Cratchit since their marriage. Mrs. Cratchit said that now the weight was off her mind, she would confess she had her doubts about the quantity of flour. Everybody had something to say about it, but nobody said or thought it was at all a small pudding for a large family. It would have been flat heresy to do so, any Cratchit would have blushed to hint at such a thing. At last, the dinner was all done. The cloth was cleared. The hearth swept and the fire made up. The compound in the jug being tasted and considered perfect. Apples and oranges were put upon the table and a shovelful of chestnuts on the fire. Then all the Cratchit family drew round the hearth in what Bob Cratchit called a circle, meaning half a one. And at Bob Cratchit's elbow stood the family display of glass, two tumblers and a custard cup without a handle. These held the hot stuff from the jug, however, as well as golden goblets would have done. And Bob served it out with beaming looks, while the chestnuts on the fire sputtered and cracked noisily. Then Bob proposed a Merry Christmas to us all, my dears. God bless us, which all the family re-echoed. God bless us, everyone, said Tiny Tim, the last of all. He sat very close to his father's side, upon his little stool. <coughs> Bob held his withered little hand in his, as if he loved the child and wished him to keep him by his side, and dreaded that he might be taken from him. Spirit, said Scrooge, with an interest he had never felt before, tell me, if Tiny Tim will live. I see 
A vacant seat, replied the ghost. In the poor chimney corner, and a crotch without an owner, carefully preserved. If these shadows remain unaltered by the future, the child <coughs> will die. No, no, said Scrooge. Oh no, kind spirit, say he will be spared. If these shadows remain unaltered by the future, none other of my race, returned the ghost, will find him here. What then, if he be like to die? He had better do it and decrease the surplus population. Scrooge hung his head to hear his own words quoted by the spirit and was overcome with penitence and grief. Man! said the ghost. If man you be in heart, not adamant. Forbear that wicked can't until you have discovered what the surplus, surplus is and where it is. Will you decide what men shall live, what men shall die? It may be that in sight of heaven you are more worthless and less fit to live than millions like this poor man's child. Oh God, to hear the insect on the leaf pronouncing on the too much life among its hungry brothers in the dust. Scrooge bent before the ghost's rebook and trembling cast his eyes upon the ground, but he raised them speedily on hearing his own name. Mr. Scrooge, said Bob. I'll give you Mr. Scrooge, the founder of the feast. The founder of the feast indeed, cried Mrs. Cratchit, reddening. I wish I'd had him here. I'd give him a piece of my mind to feast upon, and I hope he'd have a good appetite for it. My dear, said Bob, the children, Christmas Day. It should be Christmas Day, I am sure, she said. On which one drinks the health of such an odious, stingy, hard, unfeeling man as Mr. Scrooge. You know he is, Robert. Nobody knows him better than you, poor fellow. My dear, was Bob's mild answer, Christmas Day, I'll drink his health for the sake of you and the days, said Mrs. Cratchit. Not for his. Long life to him. A merry Christmas and a happy new year. He'll be very merry and very happy, I have no doubt. The children drank the toast after her. It was the first of their proceedings which had no heartness. Tiny Tim drank it last of all, but he didn't care twopence for it. Scrooge was the ogre, ogre of the family. The mention of his name cast a dark shadow on the party, 
which was not dispelled for full five minutes. After it had passed away, there were ten minutes merrier than before, from the mere relief of Scrooge the baleful, baleful being done with. Bob Cratchit told them how he had a situation in his eye for Master Peter, which would bring in, if obtained, full five and six pence weekly. The two young Cratchits laughed tremendously at the idea of Peter's being a man of business, and Peter himself looked thoughtfully at the fire from between his collars, as if he were deliberating what particular investments he should favour when he came into the receipt of the, that bewildering income. Martha, who was a poor apprentice at a milliner's, then told them what kind of work she had to do and how many hours she worked at a stretch and how she meant to lie abed tomorrow morning for a good long rest, tomorrow being a holiday she passed at home. Also, also how she had seen a countess and a lord some days before and how the lord was much about as tall as Peter at which Peter pulled up his collars so high that you couldn't have seen his head if you had been there. All this time the chestnuts and the jug went round and round and by and by they had a song about a lost child travelling in the snow from Tiny Tim who had a plaintive little voice and sang it very well indeed. There was nothing of high mark in this. They were not a handsome family they were not well dressed. Their shoes were far from being waterproof. Their clothes were scanty. And Peter might have known, and very likely did, the insider inside of a pawnbroker's. But they were happy, grateful, pleased with one another. And contented with the time. And when they faded and looked happier yet in the bright sprinklings of the spirit's torch at parting, Scrooge had his eye upon them, and especially on Tiny Tim, until the last. By this time, it was getting dark, and snowing pretty heavily, and as Scrooge and the spirit went along the streets, the brightness of the roaring fires in kitchens, parlours, and all sorts of rooms was wonderful. Here, the flickering of the blaze showed preparations for a cosy dinner with hot plates baking through and through before the fire and deep red curtains ready to be drawn to shut out cold and darkness. There, all the children of the house were running out into the snow to meet their married sisters, brothers, cousins, uncles, aunts and be the first to greet them. Here again were shadows on the window blind of guests assembling, and there a group of handsome girls, all hooded and fur-booted, and all chattering at once, tripped lightly off to some near neighbour's house, where woe upon the single man who saw them enter, artful witches, well, they knew it, in a glow. But if you had judged from the numbers of people on their way 
to friendly gatherings, ye might have thought that no one was at home to give them the welcome when they got there, instead of every house expecting company and piling up its fires half chimney high. Blessings on it, how the ghost exalted. How it bared its breadth of breast and opened its captious palm and floated on, outpouring with a generous hand its bright and harmless mirth on everything within its reach. The very lamplighter who ran on before, dotting the dusky street with specks of light, and who was dressed to spend the evening somewhere, laughed out loud as the spirit passed, though little need the lamplighter that he had any company but Christmas. And now, without a word of warning from the ghost, they stood upon a bleak and desert moor, where monstrous masses of rude stone were cast about, as though it were the burial place of giants, and water spread itself wheresoever it listed, or would have done so, but for the frost that held its prisoner. And nothing grew but moss and furs and coarse rank grass. Down in the west, the setting sun had left a streak of fiery red, which glared upon the desolation for an instant, like a sullen eye and frowning lower, lower yet, was lost in the thick gloom of darkness night. What place is this? asked Scrooge. A place where miners live. Who labour in their bowels of the earth, returned the spirit. But they know me. See? A light shone from the window of a hut, and swiftly they advanced towards it. Passing through the wall of mud and stone, they found a cheerful company assembled. Round a glowing fire. An old, old man and woman with their children and their children's children and another generation beyond that all decked out gaily in their holiday attire. The old man in a voice that seldom rose above the howling, howling of the wind upon the barren waste, was singing them a Christmas song. It had been a very old song when he was a boy, and from time to time they all joined in the chorus. So surely, as they raised their voices, the old man got quite blithe and loud, and so surely as they stopped, his vigour sank again. The spirit did not tarry here, but bade Scrooge hold his robe, and passing on above the moor, sped whither, not to see, to see. To Scrooge's horror, looking back, he saw the last of the land, a frightful range of rocks behind them, and his ears were deafened by the thundering of water as it rolled and roared. 
and raged among the dreadful caverns it had worn and fiercely tried to undermine the earth. Built upon a dismal reef of sunken rocks, some league or so from shore, in which the waters chaffed and dashed the wild year through, there stood a solitary lighthouse. Great heaps of seaweed clung to its base, and storm-birds, born of the wind, one might suppose, as seaweed of the water rose and fell about it like the waves they skimmed. But even here, two men who watched the light had made a fire that threw the hoop, hoop hole. In the thick stove, wool shed out a ray of brightness on the awful she sea, joining their horny hands over the rough table at which they sat. They wished each other Merry Christmas in their can of grog, and one of them, the elder too, with his face all damaged and scarred with hard weather, as the figurehead of an old ship might be, struck up a sturdy song that was like a gale in itself. Again the ghost sped on, above the black and heaving sea, on, on, until, being far away, as he told Scrooge from any shore, they lighted on a ship. They stood beside the helmsman at the wheel, the lookout and the bow, the officers who had to watch it, dark, ghostly figures in their several stations, but every man among them hummed a Christmas tune, or had a Christmas thought, or spoke blow his breath to his companion of some bygone Christmas day with homeward hopes belonging to it and every man on board waking or sleeping good or bad had had a kinder word for another on that day that on any day in the year and had shared to some extent in its festivities and had remembered those he cared for at a distance and had known that they had delighted to remember him. It was a great surprise to Scrooge, while listening to the moaning of the wind, and thinking what a solemn thing it was to move on through the lonely darkness over an unknown abyss, whose depths were secrets as profound as death. It was a great surprise to Scrooge, while thus engaged, to hear a hearty laugh. It was a much greater surprise to Scrooge to recognise it as his own nephew's and to find himself in a bright, dry, gleaming room with the spirit standing smiling by his side and looking at his nephew with approving affability. Ha ha! laughed Scrooge's nephew. Ha ha ha! If, you'd, if you should happen by any unlikely chance to know a man more blessed in a laugh than Scrooge's nephew, all I can say is, I should like to know him too. Introduce me to him, and, I, I'll, and I'll cultivate his acquaintance. Thank you for listening to this episode of Storytime Madness. That is pages 55 
to 60 of Slave 3 of A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens. We still have a lot of pages left of this stave. Eight more pages. Um, and after that we'll move on to stave four. We're unlikely to get this book finished for Christmas. But we'll continue it after Christmas as well if we don't finish it. A little reminder that obviously there won't be any more book episodes this week. It will be mystery uh, Christmas missing letter mystery word challenge episodes uh, as we are working on our three video episodes for Christmas and then our new year one so we're busy with that and um, but we'll be back to normal scheduling after the Christmas um, period is finished thank you so much for listening to this episode of Storytime Madness if you Guess the mystery uh, word at the beginning. Go to our Instagram page, Let's Talk Podcast 2023, and you can submit your answer there. Or, as I say, send us a voice message um, through the link available on the episode description. Thank you for listening. We'll be back reading Christmas Carol on Wednesday, but we'll continue... um, Christmas missing letter mystery word challenges this week but that's all from us now bye bye